the way we've been doing it so far, the status quo won't hack it. There's just too much social inequality in the world. And business needs to understand how do you link business interest with dealing with the big inequalities in the world. We have to turn that corporate speak into action. And I think people need to be seeing action on the ground and seeing businesses really engage with their local communities. The misunderstanding of, of Western corporates is profound. You can only try and actually change behaviour in a country if you actually know the, in depth about your kind of target population. Many people within businesses don't really know what sustainability means. They take a stab at it, they define it from their perspective. So actually if you don't even use the word in the first place and you're more clear about what it is you're talking about, then you're likely to get a better result anyway, rather than making an assumption that when they're talking about sustainability or listening to you talk about sustainability, they've actually got the right definition because it can mean so many different things. Being able to say you want to pivot is much easier than doing that pivoting. And I hope that people are able to create for themselves in their lives and in their work the space to do new things out of which that pivot can arise. Hello, and welcome to a very special edition of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. I'm ED Senior Reporter Matt Mace and today I'm at the Business Design Centre in London as we cover the Sustainability Leaders Forum two-day event. Now whilst Editor Luke is busy talking to delegates and making sure this event runs seamlessly and George is back keeping the fort in order, I am here to try and grab a few interviews and give you a real insight into what's going to happen during this two-day event. For those of you unaware, the Sustainability Leaders Forum is all about bringing together ambitious professionals and moving beyond environmental objectives to deliver transformational change and create brand value. But from the early signs of people I've spoken to, it's all about getting past this air of uncertainty about current political trends and how they can continue to enhance sustainability in their boardrooms and amongst their staff. Now, this is a behind-the-scenes special wherein I'm going to try and get you some one-on-one time with the speakers. I'm going to try and air their opinions on the whole sustainability sphere as it is. But uh, that obviously depends on my ability to be able to um, build up um, rapport and actually get people want to talk to me. So this, you know, this podcast ends abruptly. It's because I have failed miserably. It's um, early morning, and I'm sure, as you can hear behind me, um, there's a real buzz already, sustainability professionals ready to talk and commune with one another, and we're about to kick start any minute now. And with that in mind, I'm going to see if I can hunt down the chair of today's event. So the chair for today's and tomorrow's event is um, David Bent, who um, is best known for his work at Forum for the Future. Now, I've been fortunate enough just before kind of floodgates open and the people start coming in to be able to grab David for a quick chat. So David, thank you very much for, for agreeing to this quick talk before, uh, before your opening remarks. Um, my pleasure. And um, I know you do a lot of this kind of stuff in this area. Is, it, is the nerves, do you still get them? <laughs> uh, a little bit. I think um, if you're not nervous, then it doesn't mean anything. So it's, it's good to have a little bit of nerves, but not too many. As I mentioned, you're best known for, well, to me at least, for your work for Form of the Future, but I'm right in thinking um, it's past just new for you now. What's, what's kind of on the horizon? Yes, I've been a, I had been at Forum for 13 years and uh, had spent the last three years or so as the Director of Sustainable Business. Now I'm uh, trying to move into more of, well, what are the institutions, uh, what are the things we need to do to evolve our political economy towards a sustainable footing, doing that with the various different hats. One hat is... At the Cabinet Office, I'm advising them on the inclusive economy and what can, business, what can government do to support business and civil society 
on um, helping the Just About Managing. And I'm also uh, an Associate Fellow at the Centre for Science and Policy in Cambridge, looking at what a pro-sustainability industrial strategy might be. So uh, with a man with many hats, I suppose you're going into today's event with lots of um, different views and, and eyes on what's, what's going to happen. So you are chairing the event. Um, we've got the first session coming up about accelerating change. One, but what are you looking forward to about the, the two-day event and what are you hoping to gain from it yourself? Well, I'm hoping to hear a lot more about what cutting-edge practice is across different domains, different sectors. Um, I'm also I'm intrigued to hear how people are responding to the changes in all of our contexts we had in 2016. It was a shocking year in many ways, um, one, a time when some of the precious assumptions we've had as a, a sustainability fraternity have been really kicked. So the idea of inter- interdependency, that we'll solve things together, that we'll be able to approach things through a rational lens. These things have been really uh, attacked, and certainly in the UK and US we have a, a turn towards protecting our own and also towards um, away from experts. So how do we respond to that, and how, do we, how does business regain trust and provide leadership in some very changed times when our political and economic systems are ripe for change? And this is probably the right forum for it because it is for the leaders and hearing from the leaders, so hopefully we'll get some nice insight there. Um, you mentioned in your head, what are you... I mean, 2016 was, was bizarre in its, in just its ability to go one step forward and then one step back again. What are you hoping to get from this year? Well, I think we had to prepare ourselves for some pretty terrible news. Uh, and it's already begun to happen in the US today. Uh, there's various announcements around the EPA um, from Trump et al. So I think in the midst of that federal-level trashing of recent victories, I'm hoping for a reaction in the U- US and around the world at a city level, at a company level, at a citizen level, which um, can hopefully... Hopefully the Trump stuff in particular will cause a reaction that will then shift what is possible politically over the next few years, but it requires um, a lot of activity. So I'm hopeful for that, but also fearful of the reasons why we need it. Okay, and I realise we're it's getting close to countdown time for you stuff, so I will I will let you get on your way. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to chat to you again because you're obviously uh, wrapping up, I suppose, the forum tomorrow. So hopefully, I'll get a chance to talk to you to then. Good luck with the opening chat, and I hope you enjoy the event as much as I'm sure I will. Thank you. Okay, so we just finished um, the first session. Really insightful, all about kind of building trust and leadership. In um, I think we all agreed it was rather uncertain times, and. I managed managed to get hold of someone, so this podcast is now worth listening to. In fact, I managed to get hold of Charlotte Wolfby, the Vice President for Sustainability at Statoil. Um, Charlotte, thank you very much for agreeing um, to have this quick chat. Um, what did you make of the first session? Thank you. I think it was very enlightening. We heard from Jonathan Porritt that all change, we're up for change and disruption. So I was thinking, what does that actually mean? Because in the last 18 months, the world has united behind two very big goals. One is on climate change, and the other one is the 2030 Sustainable Development Agenda. But then there's all this disruption. We had Brexit in Britain. We had Trump, which is probably maybe a surprise for many. What does that mean, actually? And is corporate sustainability dead, or do we need to reinvent ourselves? So I thought it was some very big questions, very meaty topics. And I think this is very interesting for me as well as a practitioner. I've been working on this for 20 years, and thankfully Jonathan Porritt said, well, a lot has been achieved, so I feel rather good about that. But he also said that going forward, this, the way we've been doing it so far, the status quo won't hack it. There's just too much social inequality in the world, and business needs to understand how do you link business interest with dealing with the big inequalities in the world. 
That's really insightful. And, you know, Statoil is clearly a company that's had to change as this has become more prominent in the global sphere. You're, um, you're speaking in a few hours after the interactive sessions, I believe. What, um, what are you hoping to kind of maybe enlighten the audience about, I suppose? Well, Statoil is an interesting business because it actually was set up, um, you know, to produce oil and gas resources for the world to benefit, provide energy to the world and, and therefore support development. But it also has the purpose of actually creating value for society. That has been very much at the heart of the origin of the company since uh, 1972 when it was established. So in my session, I will actually talk about the sustainable development goals. So one of the key topics that the world agreed together to focus on, you know, common sustainable goals. Um, and I want to take the audience through of how we looked at it from Stato's perspective. How much do we contribute to, the, to society today? So we've done that assessment. But also, you know, do we, pro, do we do something that's not so sustainable? Those assessments are very important to then understand how can we best contribute towards this uh, 2030 sustainable development agenda. And I think it is um, really refreshing to have, like you said, the kind of oil and gas sector on board, with, especially with the SDGs in terms of driving not just you know combating climate change but also driving prosperity amongst um, society but um i realize you've got a speech coming up interactive sessions are just around the corner and i'm sure you uh, want a, a coffee just to, to perk you up after the morning session so i'll let you get on your way so charlotte thank you very much for your time so first session has been done um we heard some really insightful stuff especially from jonathan porritt the um, forum for the future founder very um very passionate about some grotesque um, grotesque people that are currently dominating both political and, and business spheres. I'm not joined by one of those grotesque people. I'm joined by um, I'm joined by the CEO of Adnams, um, Andy Wood. Andy, <clears throat> thank you for joining me. You mentioned in in your speech that you've just done about trying to connect Adnams to the community in order to drive uh, you're not just CSR strategy but build that kind of trust in in a world that is kind of going through these changes in America and in the UK with Brexit where it is coming more localised now these beliefs how important is building these community kind of trust values up in order to enhance sustainability? I, I think it's absolutely vital my own business Adnams has um, been around in its local community since 1872 so these things kind of come naturally to, to it but, but actually we do need to consider um, and, and think very deeply as business leaders about how we restore trust because some of the protests and the dissatisfaction that people expressed around the globe in 2016 was because there's an erosion of trust because business is seen as isolated or in its ivory towers. Now if we're to get these really important concepts and get more traction with them we've got to get people buying into that and that has to be the guy on the Clapham omnibus. Uh, buying into that or the gal on the Clapham omnibus so we need to restore trust so that they believe what we're saying and at the moment business has um, uh, unfortunately eroded that trust and there's a sort of asymmetric relationship between good news stories that don't get much traction and bad news stories that get huge traction Um, so we need to recognize that and start getting more of the good news stories and restoring that trust with our consumers. And uh, Jonathan Porritt mentioned we're kind of operating right now in a um, post-truth um, world, basically, where it's, it's all about connecting, connecting to the community, not necessarily sprouting the facts. In regards of pushing sustainability in this aspect, 
what can what can businesses do um, not just to connect to the community but kind of combat this wave of um, alternate facts I think it's going through in the media yes it's sort of post post truth or alternative facts these are these are phrases that get uh, banded about uh, and I think we just need to be very guarded about corporate speak that um, is a language that business people use to one another but means nothing to the consumer to the general public Uh, and I think we have to turn that corporate speak into action and I think people need to be seeing action on the ground and seeing businesses really engage with their local communities. It really is a case of action will speak loud in words in this case. Well, Andy, um, thank you very much for your time. I'm aware interactive sessions are just about to start, so um, I'll let you get on your way and hopefully see you around for the rest of the forum. Thank you. Okay, so it's nearing lunchtime now at the forum. A couple of the delegates are starting to peter out and wait for what looks like quite a spread. Um, one of them was uh, our own editor, Luke Nichols, keen to be at the front of the food, food chain as always. And um, joined with Luke and joining me right now is uh, Michael Dickstein from Heineken UK. So um, thank you both of you, I suppose, for um, coming along and having a chat to me before you go and get your food. Um, I suppose I'll start with Luke just quickly. Um, you'll see technically opened the show even though that was David Bent's official role how how are you feel finding it so far yeah good it's very strange to be on this side of the microphone but uh, yeah no uh, it's been fantastic it has been a, a good start to the day I think sort of standouts for me at the moment um, I think actually right at the very beginning having that combination of um, Scottish Renewables Chief Operating Officer um, Adnams Chief Exec um, and Jonathan Porritt on the same stage that that panel discussion in particular was quite provoking and Jonathan Porritt is always a good person to, to sort of set up a day ahead. Um, some people might have thought it was a little bit depressing what he was talking about in terms of 2016 being quite an uncertain year. And um, yeah, but I think actually really um, what we're seeing already from some of the sessions this morning so far is that actually it's really a year of courageousness and, and, and leadership and, and innovation. Um, we've seen ING discussing this, um, Stasoil, what they're doing now with the SDGs, using that as a framework to sort of transform their entire business. Um, so yeah, it's been fascinating. Looking forward to this afternoon and obviously the awards tonight. And uh, Michael, uh, when we talked to you, um, we used to be up on stage. You were, you were a speaker at um, last year's forum, I believe, as well. So um, you're, you're more kind of in the crowd this year. And uh, what kind of brings you to the forum? What are you hoping to gain out of it? Well, first of all, I found that the speaker lineup is uh, uh, pretty impressive. Um, I was very much entertained by the presentations, particularly from ING and Yacho. Um, I saw some very good examples. Um, I also saw, incidentally, that um, we're all kind of struggling with the same thing. I mean, we have achieved a CSR policy and strategies, and we are on a pretty high level. The next step is actually how to transform it really into a business model, how to embed it in the business, and how to make sustainability sustainable in itself. I think, yeah, it was interesting. Um, you mentioned ING, uh, fellow Dutchman. Um, Leon, I think, and, and Charlotte from Stasol touched on this as well, which is about finding the purpose of the company, remembering that with any kind of CSR strategy or goal that you set. Uh, I quite liked what, how Leon kind of underlined that and said, you know, ING wouldn't necessarily focus on a campaign that uh, revolved around kind of responsible drinking because it's not necessarily their remit. It's not something that's in their, in their bag, likewise, Statoil. Um, it's not about 
you, you do have to step out of your zone sometimes, but I think really you have to work out what impacts can you have that um, actually still fall within your business remit. Would you agree with that, Michael? Definitely I would, and what I found interesting is that both ING and Diacho were referring to the materiality metrics. Now, this is guiding for us as well, so we look at, on the one hand, where can we make the biggest impact, but on the other hand also, what is it, what stakeholders expect from us. Moving forward, this will be more important than ever. I'm excited. I'm excited. We are one. We are one of the uh, nominees, um, and and obviously, uh, I hope that we are going to win. And I'm very curious how the evening is going to turn out. But it should be. Um, the awards will certainly be a, a fun time for celebration, regardless of, of winners or, or there's no losers in this kind of area, is there? But um, the year ahead, we mentioned, you know, 2016 could be viewed as quite depressing, depending on your outlook. The year ahead for Heineken, how kind of optimistic are you? I think that was one of the uh, one of the key buzzwords around uncertainty that was used earlier on. So what can we expect from, from your company this coming year? I think we will more than ever focus on purpose, uh, Luke, as you mentioned before. Um, the, the, the big key areas, in my point of view, are on the one hand uh, how to link uh, CSR topics more effectively to brands. Uh, and how to build further on partnerships. The example that uh, ING gave with UNICEF is a, is a great example uh, how to transform a partnership and focus on those areas that really matter and that you would associate to any business. Well, um, I'm wary that uh, lunch is starting to smell really good and I don't want to keep you too, too long, so um, I'll let you get on your way and enjoy the rest of the forum and the awards and tomorrow's there the forum as well. Thanks for <laughs> that. Cheers. Cheers. So, lunch is in uh, full swing, as I'm sure you can hear. Everyone is uh, tucking in. But one person who isn't, because I am talking to him right now, is, and apologies if I get the name wrong, accents are not my strong point, um, Leon Wichnans. Sorry, but that, I, that needs a small correction. Leon Wijnands. Well, almost good, yeah. <laughs> Global Head of Sustainability at um, ING. Now, you've just spoken um, to our editor, Luke Nichols, and I overheard you saying one of your ultimate goals in this kind of agenda would be to just scrap the sustainability department. Um, what's your kind of meaning behind that? Yeah, I really believe in, in integrating and, sust- and, and embedding sustainability in, in the core business of a company. And uh, we, we, we also don't have a separate department for customer satisfaction, which is also very important. We don't have a separate department for profit, which is also very important. And we, we would have a separate department on sustainability. And you tend to run the risk that that becomes a kind of an excuse department in which they do uh, the statements and, and, and spokespersons and, and, and that kind of stuff, that we, we manage away the issue in a separate department. And what really needs to be done is embedding it, and, and everyone needs to be responsible. So I always, if I introduce myself, I always say at ING, 54,000 people are responsible for sustainability, and I'm the lucky guy who gets to report on it. So it's a case of... When sustainability is truly embedded in a company, the the department becomes the, the core, the core aspect of it, I suppose. Yeah, then the, then a separate department would become obsolete, and we're not even close to to, the, to that goal. Huh? But I think that's more of a long-term vision where you should uh, want to go uh, to, because currently uh, sustainability departments are crucial in in really connecting businesses to society, connecting businesses to stakeholders, but also internally connecting people to each other and catalyzing the change in a company. And you mentioned the, the key role that the statement has in connecting businesses to stakeholders. Um, essentially, a lot of stuff from, you know, CDP reports are showing us a raising awareness amongst stakeholders to kind of, you know, kind of mitigate climate risks within their portfolios, I suppose. Um, as, a, as ING, kind of big global finance company, how, how are you kind of communing this to, to people you're working with? 
Yeah, so I, I, uh, one step back to the stakeholder, I think if, if what the financial sector has learned from the financial crisis is that we focus too much on one uh, single stakeholder interest, which was the shareholder, and I think there are much more stakeholders important, and, and that provides a much more long, longer-term perspective for the company, which is also in the interest of the shareholder uh, again. Then back to your question on um, uh, financing and, and climate change. So you can, uh, if you really look at the transition, because we really believe in a, so we, we don't think that sustainability is a zero-one digital situation. It's an analog continuous process. And the question for the big mainstream banks is how can we finance that transition and uh, help our customers in this transition from uh, carbon intensive uh, energy to more low carbon uh, intensity and then we tend to focus a lot on the producers of the energy but we, I think we also tend to uh, need to, to, to look at the users of energy, they're, they're equally important Okay, and, um, really fascinating to hear your insights, I'm aware it is lunchtime and um, you have literally come straight from, your, uh, straight from your session to come and talk to us so I will let you get on your way, are you off to the awards tonight or is it just uh, back, back to work for you I suppose? It's uh, now back to another session, but tomorrow I will uh, certainly be here to do some additional networking and to hear of some of the other inspiring speakers. Brilliant, Liam. Thank you very much for your time. Welcome. So we're well into the afternoon now, the first day of the um, SLS. Uh, people just to break out to interact sessions. I know there's a natural capital one that I certainly want to sit in on, and it's kind of fitting that we're right next to a, um, a green wall in that sense. But I've been joined... Um, by Richard Wright, um, a behavioural science... Um, you're going to have to finish the job title for me. It's something I've never heard before. Behavioural science director. At Unilever. And, like I said, that's uh, not, a, not a title, a job title we come across very often. What, is it, what does it entail? Right, OK. So, yes, I'm a psychologist working for Unilever. And the, the purpose of, of my job is to come at new ways of changing our behaviour. So there are... We have everything in the world to have happy and healthy lives and to do that in a sustainable way that doesn't do too much to the environment. But we don't do it. So how can we, how can we come at behaviour change in a way that allows us to, to be sustainable in the future? It's, our, it's one of our major challenges. So what I do is, I, I'm not a marketeer. Marketeer have ways of, of communicating and ways of creating content which communicate about behaviour change. And they use advertising or direct contact. What I try and do is understand how we can create a, the physical and social environment which allows us to, to be more sustainable. So, for instance, if we give people a private toilet in Ghana, in Kumasi in Ghana, they keep soap by it. Then they wash their hands. So insights like, hey, we can use private toilets to, to make people have better sanitation and better hand washing, that's a way that actually the sorts of problems I look at. It's about engineering and trying to understand how the society can be more sustainable. And obviously that must vary, especially for a, a company like Unilever, which is so global and has, you know, reaches out to many different communities. The way that society interacts with kind of sustainability in general changes from area to area, from developed country to developed. So how do you kind of keep your finger on the pulse depending on what kind of region you're targeting? So, I mean, this is, this is why my job is so beautiful, actually, because the, it, it, it's absolutely culture dependent and, and the values and beliefs of a particular culture will drive behaviour tremendously and it is the fact and I think because I, most of my work is in, in Africa and Asia the misunderstanding of, of western kind of corporates 
um, is profound. So my belief is actually you can only do a, a project or you can only try and actually change behaviour in a country if you actually know the, in depth about your kind of target population in that. And that, from an anthropological point of view, is, is fantastic. I mean, I'm privileged to be able to do that. I can imagine it's, um, it must be fascinating, a real insight into kind of, you know, social commentary. Richard, thank you very much for your time. You are speaking t- at tomorrow's, um, tomorrow's yeah. event, aren't you? And um, I'll make sure to come and sit on that because it sounds like it will be fascinating. Thank you very much for your thank time. Thank you very much. Look forward to it. So I'm not sure if you can hear that kind of clatter of coffee cups behind me, but um, day one is essentially done. They're packing away. We're just hearing some um, closing remarks from some of the speakers today, and it's been it's been action-packed, I suppose. Um, we opened up today with some um, words of warning, I suppose, from Jonathan Porritt about the political actions in the US and about how now is the time for, for business to, to strike. And I think the... The speakers from businesses that we've heard throughout the day suggest that that action is very much in motion. We actually um, just finished off with um, a talk from two members of the BBC Sustainability Department, which was fascinating about how the climate agenda is now being pushed at a national scale. It's featuring much more prominently in the news. Um, (laughs) Even EastEnders, we've got Ian Bill talking about smart meters. Um, just to try and raise awareness among the public, it shows the power that media corporations can have in pushing this agenda, and that's really interesting to see how that'll happen. Maybe we'll uh, envision a day where the Dingles are on Emmerdale having an argument over their um, their allotment or their you know whether they should be composting. Who knows what could happen? But the climate agenda is growing on the um, out in the US, and that means prominently it will develop in the national news as well, which. It's bad news, but I think it's what we need for consumer awareness. Um, there is some sort of ruckus going on behind me. I think that means that we have to clear out. I'm actually going to go to the hotel right now, which is a stone's throw away, literally a stone's throw away. You've just got to go around the corner, past a uh, town in Salon, which I think uh, Luke may be entering if he gets a spare five minutes just to top himself up before tonight. And then it's off to the awards, and I'll be sure to bring you some coverage there. Good evening and welcome to the Sustainability Award 2017. Tonight we're going to present 19 awards to people who have in some way inspired sustainability in their business. Give me a cheer if you are up for one of tonight's 19 awards. So it's pretty much bang on midnight and um, I mean the awards are still going strong. Technically it's, it's finished, you know, but you know, we're still here and we're still going strong and I'm joined by, in fact I'm going to do a little round the table thing. Who am I joined by right now? Edie editor Luke Nichols. Edie reporter George Ogilvy. Events executive Carla Stadium. Um, I think it's time to reflect on not just the night but the day in general because it has been a long day and it started with Luke who introduced us to the, well, introduced us to David Bent and then we went from there. So Luke, um, not only did you have a great speech, Mark, Mark, 
might I say as well. It wasn't, you know, I enjoyed the Rod. I enjoyed the Rod poem, yeah, which well I'm sure we'll introduce the uh, listeners to at some point. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, for the listeners that aren't aware of what that was, I recited a little poem that was left on one of our uh, stories fairly recently, but uh, glad you liked it. Um, yeah, so day one of uh, Sustainability Leaders Forum was about a, yesterday now, wasn't it? I suppose it's uh, was technically talking we've now We've now ticked, up, yeah, ticked <laughs> past that time frame. We are there. a long time ago, but uh, yeah, it's gone well. Um, proud of it, proud of the forum, how it went. Uh, I think the forum, I mean, the difference between the two, I think the forum was about really discussing challenges and how businesses are working forward and kind of uh, some of the kind of key areas that businesses are focusing on to take their sustainability strategies onwards. Um, and the awards really were a time of looking back, really, and reflecting and um, celebrating uh, what's happened. And big winners, um, Interface, you know, Royal Mail, Heineken, Adnan's, the brewery. Um, so yeah, pleased with how it's gone. Uh, it's been a busy night. Looking forward to getting head down and uh, getting back to the SLF uh, day two tomorrow. And of course, you mentioned reflection. Um, reflection on the year that's just gone. I think it's only fair. We're you know a shameless bit of self promotion here, but how much has this grown like compared to last year? Well, it's grown to the point where yeah, Carla's uh, Carla's happy with this. But <laughs> we've uh, we've grown to the point where we've had to move venue it's, it was packed I mean the atmosphere was great It was there was a genuine kind of positive feeling and mood around the place yeah overall pleased with it and uh, yeah looking forward to day two and of course no ED podcast would be complete without a mention of uh, Mr George Ogilvy George you've been man in the desk not just man as well excelling on the news desk as well um, what have you made of your first ED, ED awards well Matt it's, it's, it's not been the same without you guys in the office today, I must admit. It's been uh, very lonely, but it was it was thoroughly enjoyable to come down tonight and uh, just to see the excitement on the uh, entries' faces. There was, uh, as I say, it was a genuine excitement. People really were happy to be uh, nominated for these awards, and rightly so because there was um, some excellent nominations within there and uh, some great categories. So yeah, it was really good to be there. Yeah. Um... I would add, uh, big winner of the night, um, Sustainable Business of the Year, Interface. Mm. Um, I think Interface really encapsulate how the year has moved on, really. You think about um, coming off the back of their previous sustainability plan that they had, that they were so famous for, um, and actually, you know, there were a company that could have rested on their laurels with sustainability, but actually what they represent with, by winning that award is a company that not only was already previously leading, but is actually willing to take things on to another level, and Climate Take Back as a, as a strategy, as an ambition, is huge, is amazing. Um, and that's what these awards are about, really. It's about celebrating that kind of level of ambition and recognising those people that are really driving things in that, those companies like John Koo. I've asked, I've asked all the uh, winners this, so I'll ask you to this as well. 2017, um, on the back of a pretty, pretty patchy, I suppose, 2016, what are you most looking forward to about sustainability? Shall I take this one first, George? You go first. Okay, so uh, what am I looking forward to the most? I think I am looking forward to, I guess, being very general and being broad with the term I would use, innovation. And I suppose if I was honing down to one sector, automotive, very interested in what's happened last year with Tesla obviously mainstreaming some of their vehicles, Nissan following suit kind of with what they've done, especially with their vehicle-to-grid trials as well. Uh, you've got Volvo, Nissan trialling autonomous vehicles um, early this year. So it's, uh, I am very interested to see what happens in the vehicle market this year. And I think actually 2017 slash 2018 will really be the period when we start to see um, electric vehicles, electrification of vehicles starting to hit the mainstream, I hope anyway. George, same question to you. Yeah, so first of all, I'd like to 
give a warm congratulations to the winner of Sustainable Leader of the Year, which uh, James Thornton from Client Earth uh, thoroughly deserved for both his and his whole team's effort this year. So for me, it's more of a, an extension of that. I'd like to see more of that sort of uh, effort from green activists such as Client Earth who can hold the government to account and make sure that while the private sector is playing its own role, it's actually being accompanied by some ambitious targets by the public sector and the government itself. So that's where I'm coming from. So we're, we're pretty much done with tonight and I'll be up bright and early to deliver you some really interesting stuff from the forum tomorrow, kicking off with Heathrow Airport CEO, which will be definitely worth listening to. Well, the awards might be over, but the forum's not. It's now day two, and it's early morning, and I'd like to say we're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, but uh, for some of us, mainly me, that's not the case. Um, George has gone back to man the desk, and Edie de Luke has yet to make an appearance yet, so um, make of that what you will. Maybe uh, someone had a bit too much wine last night, but we'll see. Um, but we kick off today, and to be honest, the agenda looks just as good as yesterday. We um, will be hearing from delegates from Unilever, we'll be hearing from BMW, and of course, I'm the CEO of Heathrow Airport. Um, and so hopefully we'll get something a little exclusive about the, um, the third runway expansion. But, you know, as with most of this podcast so far, it all depends on my ability to be able to talk to people. So we'll see how that goes. So um, I have been joined by um, Ursa Matthews, the BMW VP for Sustainability and Environment Protection. There we go, got there in the end. Um, So thank you very much for agreeing to have this chat. Um, What have you made of the event so far? It's really great. I'm getting home with a lot of new ideas and uh, this is something demanding for me but also for my team when I present these ideas and give them information I um, gained here at the conference. And new ideas, especially in, in the transport sector, automobile sector, must just be coming at 100 miles an hour. There's the electrification going on. There's, there's so many different innovations you can do. I know BMW have that. You have like a uh, facility made with the old EV batteries out in Hamburg as well. Just so many different innovations. How, as a company, do you keep pushing on with your own agenda whilst looking ahead for what these innovations can bring in the future? Yeah, actually, we have to make sure that we are not only using these new technologies for innovations for our customers, but we have to make them sustainable or even better. We have to see what our our challenges as a society today uh, or maybe tomorrow and how to use innovation to make really uh, our contribution to solving these challenges. And I, I asked this question to Tom Sharifi, actually, um, your environment manager, a few months ago, and he gave an interesting answer. All about the ride-sharing and sharing economy aspects of it, I, I overheard when I was out in the foyer you talking about it, how mm-hmm. it offers this environmental benefit. But the concept of essentially producing, I suppose, and selling less vehicles to, to the public, but at the same time you're promoting the um, sustainability aspects of it and you're kind of generating a nice market share of a new concept. How do you juggle those decisions? Yeah, of course, a lot of people are asking me, so are you want to sell less cars when you're doing ride-sharing, drive, um, drive now with, with the, the, the whole car-sharing concept? Um, but it depends on where you are and how old you are. So there are different generations having different needs. So when you are young, as you are, um, then probably you do live in a city and a car to own is not an option for you. You want to spend your money differently. But with the drive now and the reach now, you get access to our brand, which is good for us. And you have an additional option for mobility. 
beside the public transport and the cycling and, and things like that. So in the end, maybe when you are 10 years older and you want to have a fam family and the family is growing, then you say, okay, we are moving out of the city. We, have to, we want to have our own house and maybe with the children we need a car. Um, so that is the, the, oh, there will be a lot of options in the future uh, depending on are you living in a city, are you living on the countryside, are you young, are you a little bit older. And there, of course, we have to be very flexible as a company to really see which options do we need to develop further. And you have said we are, we are in the services business as well. Uh, we believe in that. It's an important addition to our products and, and uh, our company in the end. And I imagine another important component for your company is this electrification progress mm -hmm. of the market. We're going through like a global kind of decarbonisation process and companies like BMW and the transport sector in general have really accelerated it. They've They've been rapid in their ability to move away from traditional mm -hmm. fuels and pump out these new kind of EVs. What makes um, BMW and, I suppose, um, auto manufacturers so well-equipped to be able to kick-start this generation quicker than other sectors? Yeah, actually, we know how to build cars, of course. But with the BMW i, we really took a very fresh uh, look at it. Uh, it's purpose-built. So we started already um, more than 10 years ago to create this Project I. And this was a team outside the, the traditional organizational structure of the company uh, and really taking a new look at, so what do you need with a car for urban mobility? Mm -hmm. And the outcome of it is the I3. And what can be a really different sports car for the future? And this is the I8. Uh, what we need to, to consider and, and to see is how to keep also with electromobility our um, yeah, objective of sustainability because with electromobility it really differs because you have the use phase which is the most um, relevant f uh, phase regarding emissions and with an electro car you have the supply chain and your own production together so the building of the car altogether is the most important part or at least much more important compared to the combustion engine car so for us the challenge is to keep this sustainability approach also with this new technology and um, I realize we're getting called into these interactive sessions so I've just got one more question and okay. that is um, uh, car makers have been really rapid with their ability to roll out these new kind of EV models mm -hmm. um, does the infrastructure need to charge an aspect of it the battery ranges do they need to do they need to accelerate as well or is it going along at a nice pace yes they need to and uh, we are partnering with other companies to support that uh, so we are not leaving it to everybody else we are part of this but we cannot do it all so that uh, in the end uh, the governments cities also other companies have to invest invest as well because we need this infrastructure uh, in order to make electromobility really um, the, the technology of the future. But there are already countries where, uh, like Norway, 30% is electric cars in mm. Norway. And in other countries, like the UK, it's a little bit more than 1%. So there you see the difference. Mm. And uh, we can learn a lot from Norway. Um, brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Right, so we're just about to head in to the last session of day two, so the last session of the whole event. So I'd say just the diehards are left now. Um, a few people 
I've left, but I've got two diehards with me right now. Um, Eileen Donnelly from the Cooperative, just eight months in, right. uh, still in its infancy and still kind of learning the ropes, I imagine. Indeed, yes. And of course, uh, Becky William from Given London. Now, Becky was speaking earlier, um, all about selling sustainability. And Eileen, you kind of raised an interesting question, didn't you? I did. I was responding to something that one of the other speakers had said with regards to the fact that she felt senior business leaders did get it and therefore there wasn't really a need to sell sustainability anymore internally. So I challenged that. I, I actually do think there is absolutely still a need to sell the business case for sustainability. I would say it's at least half of my job. And what I need to do whenever I'm selling the business case is find the other reason they should be doing it. And sometimes it's quite a long search for that other reason before they do get it, rather than expecting them to buy it purely on the sustainability grounds. And I think that was our reflection, really, wasn't it, Eileen? That internally you need your senior leaders to buy sustainability so you need to sell it but the way that you do that is never to position it as sustainability for sustainability sake and I think the same is true externally as well and I think while we absolutely need to get consumers to understand the benefits of sustainability calling it sustainability talking about sustainability and not linking um, that intrinsically to the brand positioning to the product benefits to the way that a business engages with its customers um, will just never move the dial in the way that we want it to. And so is it a case of maybe almost banning the S word then just to, until you kind of get that brand value in order? Or? Well, we, um, at Given, we tried and still try uh, to talk about the idea of brand substance rather than sustainability. So it's the idea that brands can and should create positive change for people, their communities and the environment. But the problem is, if you say that to a sustainability person, that you know, and we, we sort of all define ourselves in the context of sustainability, that gets quite hard. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to go into meetings uh, and not talk about sustainability and actually get much more specific about the kinds of impacts and issues issues and ideas uh, that are really sort of relevant in this space. Yeah, I'd echo some of that, but also add, I think many people within businesses don't really know what sustainability means. They take a stab at it, they define it from their perspective. So actually, if you don't even use the word in the first place and you're more clear about what it is you're talking about from a procurement perspective, um, from a marketing perspective then you're likely to get a better result anyway rather than making an assumption that when they're talking about sustainability or listening to you talk about sustainability they've actually got the right definition because it can mean so many different things. Well and interestingly at the Cooperative Bank you don't actually talk about sustainability do you? No, not at all. Um, We've completely redefined it um, so it's relevant for the, the actual brand positioning of the bank. It's an ethical bank and therefore... It's not CSR, CR, sustainability. It's all about our values and our, and our ethics. And interestingly, as a result, my title is values and ethics, not sustainability. I mean, hopefully we'll get to the stage one day where these board meetings, they don't need these kinds of conversations because it is embedded that much. But I think there's still some work to do. But um, thank you very much for, for your time. And I'll let you go on with your, with your evening. Thank you. Thank you. So it is now half five on the second day of the forum, which means the forum has officially uh, finished. The, the remaining... People that stay for the two events, um, they're making their way out. But I have just caught up with um, with the chair of today's event. I mean, one of the topics we talked about today was circular economy, and I think it's only fair we start with David, so we go background in that circle and and finish with uh, David Bent. So, David, thank you very much for chairing today um, and yesterday. What did you make of the the two day event? Well, I think um, there's so I suppose there's lots to hope to be hopeful about, despite the context. And I I think yesterday when I was speaking or we were talking. Um, 
my starting point was that well, there's, a, there's a shocking context and I was looking forward to hearing about what leading edge practice is and I think we have heard that leaders are making great strides but even so I think still it's not going to be enough uh, one of the challenges we had from an early speaker Jonathan Porritt was well the current model of corporate sustainability isn't fit for purpose and I would agree that we do need to pivot if we're going to take the opportunities that are ahead of us um and there is a lot to do, but from from the feeling in the room, and not just um, not just the speakers, but the the delegates you've had a chance to speak to, do you feel there's an appetite to do do this? Well, I, I think it's really difficult to know for certain. Um, there's an appetite for saying that they're ready. <laughs> That's not quite the same <laughs> yeah. thing. Um, I think that, of course, we're all we're all part of uh, networks of relationships which bind us in particular ways. So whether that's your employer paying you a salary for a particular job, um, and also they then in turn are dependent on their customers, their shareholders, their suppliers. So um, being able to say you want to pivot is much easier than doing that pivoting. And I, I hope that people are able to create for themselves in their lives and in their work the space to do new things out of which that pivot can arise. David. Thank you very much for the chat today. Thank you very much for agreeing to not just kick off the podcast, but finish it as well. And for people who listen at home, that, that's that's it from this two-day uh, event. I hope you've enjoyed the little behind-the-scenes access um, we've given you. And please do come along to any events we host in the future because you're sure to get insight like this. So that's goodbye from me as well. Bye.